The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin, Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Hello everybody. Welcome to a shiur on Parshat Balak. This parsha is very strange. Curses, a curse on the Jewish people. How can you curse the Jewish people unless Hashem wants you to curse the Jewish people? It doesn't make any sense. Hashem is in charge of the whole world. Hashem is the boss. He's looking after everything. How is it possible to curse someone unless Hashem wants them to be cursed? And yet, that's what this parasha seems to be telling us. That they were going to go and curse Bilam. They were going to go and curse the Jewish people and it was going to have an effect on the Jewish people. And in the end it was turned around and instead of cursing, he blessed. What do we need Bilam's curse or Bilam's blessing for? How can it make any difference to our lives? Very strange. And something we need to think about and try and understand what exactly is going on here. And while doing that, let's think even a little bit deeper. Let's think about all the things that we have, that there are times of year which are bad luck for the Jewish people, like the month of Av, until Tisha B'Av, the three weeks, don't do dangerous things, Keep care, be careful during that time, it's a time when Things can happen if you have a court case with a non-Jew. Don't go to court during the, the, the nine days, the time of uh, uh, Tisha B'Av. It's a bad time for the Jewish people. How is it possible for there to be a bad time for the Jewish people? Hashem is in charge of everything. If he wants it to be good, it'll be good. If he wants it to be bad, it'll be bad. Who needs a time? Doesn't make any sense to him. We have to try and understand it, and Bezat Hashem, that's what we'll try and do. There's a famous argument between the Rambam and the Ramban about astrology. The Rambam says, the Rambam writes, astrology is idol worship. Astrology doesn't work. You can't tell anything about anything from astrology, what the stars looked like on the day that a person was born, doesn't make any difference to their lives, doesn't make any difference to anything that's going to happen to them. Everything is hashgacha pratit. Everything is in the hands of Hashem, and whatever He wants will happen. That's the opinion of the Rambam. The Ramban, on the other hand, says no. Astrology works. The way that Hashem runs the world is through the stars and through astrology. And the study of astrology and understanding astrology and the way the stars can affect a person, how there can be times of the year which are good luck and times of the year which are 
bad luck. And times of the year where if someone was to curse, that might make a difference. Yes, there is such a thing. But, says the Ramban, it doesn't apply to the Jews. Ein Mazal Israel. It doesn't apply to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are above that. And whenever we pray to Hashem and ask something from Hashem, we're above nature. We're above the Mazal. We're above the normal way that the world works. The normal way that the world works, yeah, could be that there's a day for doing business. There's a day for not doing business. There's a day that you're going to have good luck. There's a day that you might not have good luck. Could be, yeah, that's the way nature maybe works. But it doesn't affect the Jewish people. Ain Mazal Israel. Why? Because we're above that. And by praying to Hashem, and by being Dveikut Hashem, by sticking to Hashem, by being with Hashem, we can change anything. We can change anything. That is the Jewish outlook. That's the way the Ramban looks at these things. And with that, we can understand that as long as the Jewish people aren't doing the Ratzon Hashem, as long as the Jewish people are not going in the right ways, not doing the right things, so Hashem is not going to lift us above the Mazal. He's going to deal with us according to the Mazal. We won't have any special protection that if we pray, then we can change things. And that's the danger. That's why when we are st- when we're stuck to Hashem, when we're going in the ways of the Torah, when we're doing good deeds and mitzvot, when we're doing these things, then we can be above the mazal. But when we're not, then we're not. And that's what Bilam was doing in, this week, in the parsha of uh, Balak. There was a time when it would have been good it would have been a possibility of cursing the Jewish people if the Jewish people weren't doing the Ratzon Hashem at that time, if they weren't keeping mitzvot at that time, if they weren't doing, acting in the way that Hashem wanted us to act and doing the things that Hashem wanted us to do, then, yeah, there are things that could damage us. But as long as we're doing the Ratzon Hashem, then we're above all that and nothing can harm us. We have another rule in curses. Chazal said, Klalat chinam lo yavo. That means a curse that doesn't have any, that for no reason, can't cause any damage to anybody. A curse can't damage you. If someone curses you for no reason, they can't damage you. Someone curses you without any reason. That curse can't do any damage. We know that we have a service that we say at Rosh Hashanah, before Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of Elul, many say it, when we do Hatarat Nedarim, we have, and on Erev Yom Kippur, many people do it, Hatarat Klalot, that we undo any curses, either that we may have cursed other people, or that other people may have cursed us. Because yes, a curse can cause an effect. There is an effect when you can curse somebody. It does something. But that's only if the person deserves it in some way. If it's klat chinam, if it's without any basis to it, 
then definitely lo yavo, it can't hurt anyone, it can't harm anybody. There's justice in the world. We don't necessarily always see it, and we don't necessarily always understand it. But of course, without any doubt at all, there is perfect justice in this world. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta writes that there are things that can cause a curse to maybe happen to you or someone else's wish that something bad were to happen to you, that it may cause those things to happen. As we said, if it's got no basis to it, then it can't affect you in any way. But sometimes we might be doing things that it wouldn't be that the curse was considered for no reason. It might be considered that there was even a valid reason for that. But Yisrael Salanta mentions a few of these cases. I'd like to talk them, to talk them over with you because they're connected to Choshen Mishpat, to, to, to Jewish monetary law. Let's start with a verbal agreement in Jewish law. Very important thing that a Jew should keep his word in business. A person's word is a person's reputation, is a person's, uh, is the way people look at you, the way people appreciate you, is a Kiddush Hashem, which is really our whole, our whole purpose as the chosen people, to be Mekadosh and Shemayim. And someone who doesn't keep their word is certainly not doing any Kiddush Hashem. On the contrary. And he's doing a Chilul Hashem. And we find that in Halakha, if someone made a verbal agreement, and he broke it, then even though you can't take him to Beidin, you've got no recourse in Beidin for such a thing. Because there's no monetary ramifications of this that he went back on his word. Right, let's take a scenario. I agreed to sell something to you and you agreed on a price. And then I go back on the deal. Before you've paid me any money and before you've made any kinyan or any act of ownership. Such a case, in such a case, I am considered for having gone back on my word, that means a person who can't be trusted, an unfaithful person, let's say. That's the stamp I get on my forehead from Hashem, that this is a person that you can't rely on. This is a person, don't do business with this person, keep away from them. That's the stamp I get on my forehead if I go back on a verbal deal. But you can't take me to Beidin for it. If I decided after agreeing with you to sell to you, and then I go and sell to somebody else, that other, that the first person can't take me to Beidin for selling to someone else or to the other person that bought that he shouldn't have bought it. Right? It's not possible because there was no change of ownership. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It's certainly the wrong thing to do and a Jew is expected to stay by his stand by his word. What does it mean that you're considered now as an unfaithful person, as an unreliable person. So what? So what, says Rabbi Yisrael Salanta? If you did that to somebody, if you went back on your word, 
after making an agreement with somebody, that is a situation where their akpada, what's an akpada in English? Their, their bad feelings towards you for what you did. A klarat china maybe. Cursing you for no good reason is now considered that there is a good reason. You have now done something that makes you worthy of a curse, of someone being upset with you, of someone not being happy with the way you've done things. You have now, it, you can't now call it a klalat chinam if someone is angry with you and upset with you. And that person is allowed to be, says Rabbi but definitely they've got their own work that they have to try and be mochul, they have to try and forgive, they try not to be makpid with, about, with people. But as far as you're concerned, you have done something that has allowed them to do that. They're not considered as unreasonable. They're not considered as doing something that they shouldn't be doing. It's understandable why they're doing what they're doing. That's dangerous, says Rabbi Salanta, and that's the sort of thing that can cause damage to somebody. So it's very, very important so that when someone has bad feelings towards us, if they do, which unfortunately does happen in, re- in the real world, when someone has bad feelings towards us, it has to be that we are clean. As long as we are clean, then whatever it is, for whatever reason they've got feelings towards us, it can't cause us any damage. But when we're not clean, then it can. That's the danger. That's the danger of a curse from somebody. That's the danger of what happened with Bilam and the Jewish people. What could have happened. Thank God it didn't happen. But what could have happened? Because when we're not on the right level, when we are doing things that allow other people to be angry with us, to be upset with us, then we're bringing on ourselves bad times. That's one example, right, where you're a mechusrei amana, where the Torah considers it that you should have stood by your word. Let's take another example. Another example would be the case of buying something before someone else. The Gemara Masechet Kedushin tells us the story of Rav Gidel. Rav Gidel wanted to buy a particular piece of land. In actual fact, according to the uh, conclusion of the Gemara, there's an argument, did he want to buy, or was he planning on getting something from Hefka, something that was ownerless. It's an argument between Rashi and Tosfut, but what we see from that um, argument, from that Gemara, is that where someone else was about to buy something, even though they haven't yet bought it, and you buy it before them, then you're considered a rasha. By being considered a rasha, it means, again, you haven't acted morally. You've acted immorally by buying this thing before someone else. Someone else wanted to buy it, you bought it before they could, you're considered as immoral for having done that. When you've acted in this immoral way, then you can only expect that if someone were to curse you at that time, that it might make a difference. It might work. Because you are not doing the Ratzon Hashem. Right? And you're allowing then these curses, these bad feelings of other people to have an effect on you. 
Because while you're doing the Ratzon Hashem, nothing can damage you. Hashem is with you. Hashem is walking with you. You're walking with Hashem and Hashem is walking with you. Only when we do the wrong things, only when we allow our fellow Jew to be angry with us or upset with us, or our fellow non-Jew as well, right? When we don't treat people properly, when we allow someone else to damage us, to, 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 sorry, we allow ourselves to hurt, some pe- hurt people, then we're inviting on ourselves problems. The story of uh, buying something before someone else, right? There's an argument between Rabbeinu Tam and Rashi. Is it talking about where you buy something that is a sign? It's a metzia, it's something you wouldn't find anywhere else. I sometimes talk about this and I tell the story of a pink Rolls Royce. A pink Rolls Royce is a Toyota Corolla that are brought up for sale. The pink Rolls Royce is one of a kind. The Toyota Corolla, there's thousands of these things around. A silver Toyota Corolla with an average mileage, kilometerage, depending on where you're from. Um, so let's say in the case of the pink Rolls Royce, someone was about to buy it. They'd made a verbal agreement and you come and buy it first before they can do it. So here, according to Rashi, you're considered as a Rasha for doing that. Even though it's a pink Rolls Royce and there's no, nothing else, there's no other one to, to be found anywhere. Nevertheless, you're considered as a Rasha for buying it before the other guy. According to Rabbeinu Tam, you're not considered a Rasha in such a case. Seeing as there's only one of its kind, you're allowed to buy it before the other person. Okay, you haven't done anything wrong and you wouldn't be considered as a Rasha. But in the case of the Toyota Corolla, where there's thousands of these things around, then you could have bought anywhere. You didn't have to buy this one that I was about to buy. Why did you buy the one that I'm about to buy? Go and buy one somewhere else. In the case of the Toyota Corolla, both Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam say that you are a Rasha for buying it before the other person. So even though you're, you're only considered a Rasha, wow, can we say that, only? Even though you're only considered a Rasha, no one's going to take any money from you for this, but once you've done it, you've acted immorally, so you're bringing things on yourself. I want to just close up, I have to tell you a beautiful story, a beautiful story, it's a sad story, but it's, the, the, what we learn from it is, is incredible, an incredible story about an organization that looks after um, women who haven't had children for many years. It can be a very, very difficult nisayon, a very difficult challenge for anybody, men or women, to be many, many years without children. But this organization has meetings and looks after women. They give them, they have meetings so they can get together and feel at home and talk and uh, have shows and things like that. Because these women can be very, very lonely. All their friends are talking about their children all the time and it can be very difficult for them. Anyway, this organization are doing a great job and they have special evenings for these ladies. So one of these meetings two ladies were sitting together and one of them said to the other, wow, how many years have you not had children? And the other one said, to her, wow, me 20 years, 20 years without children. And the other one said, yeah, wow, me too, 20 years. Ha! What a coincidence that we're sitting together, both 20 years. When did you get married? She says the month that she got married. She said, wow, I got married in that month too. 
What date of the month? She said the day of the month. It turned out they both got married on the same date. Exactly 20 years ago. Where did you get married? In Brooklyn. They both got married in the same town on exactly the same day 20 years ago and neither of them have got children. This doesn't sound like a coincidence, they said to each other. Something is going on here. What happened on that date 20 years ago? So they decided to put an advert in the local um, newspaper. And they said that anyone who got married on this date, give us a call. And they got a phone call from a lady. She said, yeah, I got married on that date in Brooklyn. And uh, they asked her straight away, do you have children? She said, yeah, but I know I've got six children. Grown up now. Everything's good, happy, happy marriage, happy children. Everything's great. So they said, look, can we meet? So she said, yeah, okay, let's meet. So they agreed to all these three ladies, met for a cup of coffee. And they started talking. Was there anything special at your wedding, they asked? This um, young girl, this not young girl anymore, right? This lady with the, with the six children. And she said, well, yes, something did happen at my wedding. Something very, very sad happened at my wedding. We'd booked a hall, and we sent out all our invitations. And just before, the day before the wedding, we suddenly get a phone call from the owner of the hall that the wedding is off. We'll have to find another venue. My father couldn't believe this. How can you do this to us? They returned us all the money we'd paid. I'm sorry, I cannot do the wedding for you. The venue is taken up. There's going to be another event there. I can't take you your wedding. My father was broken, said this woman. He tried everything. He tried pleading. He tried sending friends to speak to the guy. He wouldn't listen to anybody. The wedding was off. In the end, I got married in a wedding hall that's usually used for Kiddushim after davening. And most of the guests didn't arrive because they were coming from out of town and we didn't have time to inform them of the new venue. Remember, we're not talking in the times of emails, right? It was a problem getting a hold of everybody and telling them. And many people apparently turned up at the wrong place and even though there was a message there to go somewhere else, they couldn't be bothered or they didn't, they didn't do it. And so, yeah, it was a very, very sad wedding. But, we got over it and everything's okay now. And then one of these two ladies spoke up and she said, wow, on the night of my wedding, just before my wedding, we'd booked a hall. And just before the wedding, we realized that there's not going to be enough room in the hall for all our guests. We've got a very large family. My father's a, a public figure. We have a lot of, have many, many guests. So we decided that there was a hall across the road. Let's take that hall. Let's take that hall for our, for our wedding and we'll have the men in one hall and the women in the other. So they decided that and they went to the other hall. The other hall, of course, was booked already. So my father, as I said to this lady, is a very powerful and very influential person and he solved the problem. And in the end, we had, we had to use these two halls for the wedding. And then they turned to the second woman. They said, what about you? She said, wow, I was booked into a hall for my wedding. 
And a few days before the wedding, we got a phone call that the hall is off. They can't take our venue. And so my father was running around everywhere trying to find another place. And we managed to find another hall. The guy was actually booked. But with a little bit of persuasion, he agreed to cancel that booking. And we had the wedding in that hall. And now suddenly everybody realized what's been going on. These two ladies, even they though themselves may have done nothing wrong, but they pushed aside other people. They caused tremendous suffering to the father of this young bride and to the bride herself on her wedding day. And I'm sure he was a good man, the father, but maybe under his breath, he got, he got upset and he may have even cursed somebody. And this is what happened. 20 years afterwards, they had no children. You see how much effect doing wrong to somebody can have. Curses can't affect us. Curses can't harm us. As long as they don't have any basis to them. Once they have a basis to them, then they can. And that's why we have to be very, very careful in all our dealings never to upset anybody. In this particular case, they wanted to go and speak to the father to request forgiveness. The father had already passed away. In the end, they sent a minion to his grave and they prayed for forgiveness. I wish I could say that the story ended with these two ladies having children within the next year, but I don't know. I really don't know how the story ended. But certainly, once they did what they did, once they fixed things up and understood what had happened and learnt the lesson of what had happened here, I'm sure things would have been okay. So, what are we going to learn from Parashat Balak? We're learning from Parashat Balak, but yes, there are, is such a thing as a curse, there is such a thing as wishing someone bad, but it has to be that you earned it. <laughs> and if you earned it, then you need to do whatever you can to get rid of it. Ask forgiveness, appease people. That's what's needed in situations like that. Is that a shame? May we not have to suffer from any of that, and may we all have long, happy, and blessed lives. Thank you. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halakhic consultation, monetary bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call one 200 T-S-H-C or email info at the shc.org to subscribe.